Psalm 17. I want to draw your attention to the last verse in the psalm tonight. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. David's assurance of glory. David's glorious heavenly hope. That's our subject tonight. The psalm really is a prayer of David. In actual fact, it's entitled that, a prayer of David. And it has all the characteristics of a prayer. He speaks directly to the Lord. In fact, he uses the word himself, give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of faint lips. That's a cry. It's a sincere and earnest cry. It's a believing prayer. And thus it is characterized by petitions. He's asking for so many things. And the petitions that are arising are arising out of suffering, out of persecution, out of a situation where there are men in his life who are making his life very hard and very difficult. And he's feeling that. And he's crying unto God and telling the Lord about that. And asking the Lord to help him and to bring it through it. So it's a prayer in the main for this life. It's a prayer in the main to be prayed in the valley of tears. In actual fact, we could call it the pilgrim's prayer. As he makes his way through a difficult life, through this world, and every day getting nearer to the celestial rest, this is the kind of praying that he does. And he keeps thinking about that day when there'll be no more sorrow. And there'll be no more tears. And when he he won't have to pray this prayer anymore. And when he won't have to go over these requests anymore. And that day he seems to have in the back of his mind. And finally when he comes to finish his prayer. He ends with that thought. As for me. I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. That's his hope. And so in in the vale and valley of tears, he has also this assurance of victory, this assurance of everlasting rest, this assurance when the pilgrimage will end and he'll awaken up out of this world as if it was a dream into the reality of the heavenly rest. And so it ends with this assurance. It doesn't end with the sorrows of this world, but it ends with the satisfaction of the world to come, satisfied with Christ. So it ends in a glorious heavenly hope. The Old Testament saints knew about the future blessed hope. This is one of the verses among many which, which proves it. And notice that not only does David know about the future hope, he has assurance of his enjoyment of it. A very personal assurance. You can find it in his words. He knows his future blessed hope. As for me, he says. Don't know about anybody else, but as for me, I will 
behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake. It's just overflowing with assurance. David knows. He knows for sure. And you can know tonight. And you ought to know. You ought to want to know. And you ought not to have any doubts about this matter. It's too serious. You ought to labor to know and to be very sure. You ought to give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. As for me, the psalmist said. So you need to have assurance of salvation and of the heavenly hope. And you can have it and you can enjoy it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath said, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now, as I studied this psalm, there often came to my mind the Beatitudes of our Lord Jesus Christ, or what has been called the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember how the Lord said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they they shall be filled. And, And those Beatitudes came to mind as I thought of this psalm. And David's the man. He's the man who's poor in spirit in this psalm, I can tell you. He's the man who's mourning, who's mournful. He's a man who's meekly suffering. He's a man who's persecuted. All of those Beatitudes kind of describe him as he describes himself in this psalm. Hungering and thirsting after the Lord in the very prayer itself. Evidencing a sincerity and a purity of heart within himself as he comes before the Lord. He's a blessed man. He's a blessed man in this psalm troubled yet trusting, hurt yet hoping, persecuted yet praying. And this last verse shows he has the promises of the blessed man. And he knows it. He knows it. His is the kingdom of heaven. He is comforted. Though mourning, he is filled with assurance and hope. He shall see God, and he knows it. Now, as we consider his heavenly hope, which hope he has through Christ's grace alone, we will do so by dividing it into three heads, three points. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I draw your attention to the three verbs in the text. I will behold shall be satisfied, I awake with thy likeness. These three verbs are verbs of future action. Verbs of future, yet future activity. So let's be clear, these activities that David is talking about in our text, he is referring to a future world. They are the activities of a future world. Like Pilgrim Abraham. That's what he's like in this psalm. He's like the Pilgrim Abraham. He is I, a city. 
He's looking forward to a city which hath foundations, a far-off city whose builder and maker is God, and whose foundations are eternal. David is looking forward to a future hope. Is it all over after death? Is death the end? Does our activity, our actions, do all our verbs end at the tomb? Do all our actions cease on the deathbed when the breath, the breath, the last gasp goes out of our feeble field frame? There are many who would tell us it is so. But that is not the hope of the believer. The hope of the believer is a life and a world that is to come. He that believeth on me, Jesus said, has life everlasting, doesn't cease at death. He that believeth on me, Jesus says, shall never die, never cease to be involved in the verbs of action. Believest thou this? These three verbs are behold, satisfied, and awake. And I want to use them as my heads tonight, though I will change the order of them for this sermon. There is, first of all, an awakening in the text. When I awake with thy likeness, he says. And again, he clearly refers to a future time. When? When? Whenever it is, it's future. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't taken place in his life. Every morning he awakes from a natural sleep. Every morning he comes out of the drowsy sleep of the night. And this verb is often used to refer to that awakening out of a natural, normal sleep. And sometimes David uses the verb in that sense. I laid me down and slept. I awaked. For the Lord sustained me. He brought me through the night and he kept me safe. And I awaked. And he uses it in other places. But clearly he's not referring to awaking out of a natural sleep here. This goes beyond that. This goes beyond the change that a mere natural sleep brings. None ever woke up from a natural sleep with the likeness of Jesus Christ. None ever did. Because that's what this awakening is about. It's the experience of sometime awakening being like the Lord. It is true that converted sinners do experience a kind of an awakening. And we talk about that in a spiritual revival. Sinners are awakened. They're awakened out of their sleep of death. Sinners are dead in sin, spiritually dead. They're unconcerned. They're ungodly. They're not desiring the Lord and they're lifeless spiritually. But in conversion, it's like an awakening. And they are awakened now to a new life in God. And there is such a thing as a spiritual awakening. Remember how Paul said, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that awakening does lead to godliness and holiness of life. There's no doubt about that. 
And we can say that something of the likeness of Christ begins in the sinner at his spiritual awakening. But that's not what David's referring about. He already has been converted. He already has had a spiritual awakening. This is something yet future. He can't be speaking about a future conversion. Besides, even the converted saint is very short of likeness to Christ. And we're all very conscious of that as Christians, though we desire to be like him so much. We realize every day and moment by moment we're just so unlike the Lord. And we wake up in the morning and we're not any more like him. So it's not referring to that kind of natural sleep or even something spiritual in our lives while we live. No, this, this can only refer to one of two things and probably to both, which are yet future. First of all, death to the believer is asleep. And that's what the Lord calls death for his people. It is interesting that the gospel changes death. And for those who are in Christ, death becomes a sleep. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Well, not all die, he says. But he uses the word sleep when he refers to Christians. We believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. They've died. They've died in Christ, but their, their, their death is asleep, really. And then Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And he's speaking of the Christian dead. The Christian dead are asleep. But their death is followed by an awakening. And it's this which David is referred to. First of all, for the soul in glory, in heaven. The believer, as he closes his eyes in death, He awakes up in glory and he lifts up the eyes of his soul upon the Lord in glory. He is with Christ and he sees Christ. And what an awakening it is. Having slept the sleep of death with his loved ones as he's passed on, he lifts up his eyes, not like the rich man in hell, but he lifts up his eyes in glory. He awakes to see the Lord. He awakes to see the Lord. And that may be referred to. When he dies, he'll he'll awake in heaven and see the Lord. But especially the references to David's whole humanity. He clearly is speaking of body and soul. He appears to me to have the hope not just of being in heaven with the Lord as the spirit of a justified man made perfect, and his spirit having the likeness of Christ. But he seems to me to go even beyond that. He has the hope of a resurrection, an awakening from the dead. And very often in the Bible, that's what is referred to by this awakening. Book of Job we read, Man laugh down and riseth not. That is, until the heavens be no more. When the heavens are no more, it'll be different. Man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. The dead aren't going to be awakened. The dead aren't going to be aroused out of their sleep. 
until the heavens be no more at the last day. And then they will awaken and be raised out of their sleep. And so the death is asleep. Thy dead men shall live, the Savior says to his father. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake, awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. That's what Jesus is going to say one day over his people in the grave. He'll come to all their tombs by that mighty voice of him that had the power to call Lazarus from the grave. And now he comes to the tombs of all his people with that omnipotent, omnipresent voice. Awake and sing, you that lie in the dust of death. And David has this hope. He knows about this, as Job did. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And so that resurrection awakening is referred to, and it must be a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to waken up in the morning and the sun is shining and the birds are singing. What a blessed thing it is to awake. I I laid me down and slept, but I awake. Praise the Lord, I awaked. But it'll not be anything like the awakening of that day when mighty divine power shall accomplish it in all the redeemed. How it must be to feel and experience it in that morning. None of us can tell. None of us can know what it will be like until that day. And when we do experience it, we shall all experience it together and how we shall sing as we arise from the dust of death and be raised with an incorruptible body. But this is the crowning thing in this awakening. With thy likeness shall I awake. And that's the most wonderful thing of all about it. Not just that you awake and your bones and your body has come together again and it's a spiritual body and an incorruptible body. That's not the great thing about it. But the great thing about it is it's a body that is in every way like Jesus Christ. Awaking with his likeness. That doesn't happen in the mornings when we awake, unfortunately. Every morning we have to make fresh confession of our unlikeness. Every morning even we have to confess our sins. The ancient Christian liturgies have always started the day with confession of sin. Awakening to a new day and yet confession of sin afresh. But the resurrection morning shall come and Christian liturgy as we know it shall cease. And no more God be merciful to me, the sinner, and forgive all my sins for Jesus' sake. No more that liturgy of confession. No more having to hear the the word of pardon and forgiveness from the word. In the new creation... Man is like Christ, like God. The image of God is renewed completely. And there's no sin. It's like a new creation. No sin now. 
He shall change our vile body. That's what it is now. We wake up in the morning. It's still a vile body. But one day we'll waken up and our vile body will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. According to that mighty working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Like unto his glorious body. This is a vile body now. Ah, but a glorious body. I'll wake with thy likeness. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, John says, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. I shall awake with thy likeness. Isn't that a blessed thing? Isn't that a blessed hope for the child of God? You wouldn't want to miss that sinner. You don't want to awake on the resurrection day with the likeness of the devil. You don't want to awake on the resurrection day with the likeness of the depraved and the defiled and the unforgiven and the malicious and the envious and the wicked. You don't want to awake on that day forever, forever established in your depravity and for which you must go to an endless hell. There's also not only an awakening in the text, there is a beholding too. I will behold thy face in righteousness. David's hope includes his personally seeing God's face. It's not just that there's life after death. It's not just that there's a heaven. It's not just that Well, there's a resurrection from the dead and there's the enjoyment of the new heavens and the new earth and you'll live forevermore and they're all the new creatures or whatever you do in the new heavens and the new earth. No, it's not that. It's just that's not the be-all and the end-all. He's not just talking about the future glory in a kind of a general way. He's talking about the best part of it and the chief thing in it. I will behold thy face, the Savior's face. He is assured that in the future glory he shall see God, for the pure in heart shall see God as the beatitude teaches us. His countenance shall shine upon his people. And David knows this. He's surrounded by all the glum and gloomy faces and the hateful faces of the wicked. He's compassed about by lions who would devour him. They're not the kind of faces that he enjoys in life. Ah, but one day, the sweet face of Jesus, the sweet, gentle face of him who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, I will behold thy face. It's a reference to the face of God, isn't it? It is possible, of course, to see God now, but only by faith. Seeing him who is invisible, and only through the word, and believing the word, as the Holy Spirit brings to our minds the truths concerning God. Yes, we can see God in his word, but it's through a glass darkly. It's through the page of Holy Writ. It's not face to face. It's not just clear as that. 
And we all with open face beholding the glo- in the glass the glory of the Lord. We're changed, Paul says. Yes, the Bible changes us. We see something of God's glory in the Word as we read it and hear it preached. And the Holy Spirit uses it. And there's a change from glory to glory that's going on in our hearts and lives. But none of that is seeing God face to face. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then, the then that David refers to, then, face to face, I shall see thy face in righteousness. And that's what David has a hope of, a face to face encounter with God. And that's what Job spoke about. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he shall stand at the last day upon the earth. I know that. I know that my, worm, my, my body shall be consumed in the grave and consumed and destroyed to dust by worms. I know that. Yet, in my flesh, I'll see God. That's our hope. That's the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we shall see him. As John said, and I've already quoted it, now we are the sons of God. That's a fact. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. That's a fact. But we know this much. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. Hi. And why? For we shall see him as he is. And in seeing him in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, we shall become like him. And what a wonderful feeling that must be. To think and to feel like Christ feels. To have an attitude to sin like Christ has. To have a love and a gentleness like Christ has. Without any struggle, without any difficulty, without any problems inside our hearts. What a wonderful thing. I'm sure David's battling with all kinds of struggles, trying not to hate these people, trying to remain meek and Christ-like through it all. I'm sure he's battling away, he's struggling away, and he's finding it so hard and so difficult to be like Christ as he's compassed about with all the lions. He's finding it impossible in actual fact. And then he's thinking, oh, one day, one day, Lord, I'll just be like you. I'll just be like you. For when he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him. Seeing his face. What does that mean in actual fact? Well, it means unbroken, unhindered, close fellowship without any glass or any clouds between. I face. It's a blessed hope. It's a wonderful thing. And it's a beholding in righteousness. Note that too. He has to add that. He doesn't just say, I'll behold thy face. He has to add, in righteousness it'll happen. In righteousness it'll take place. And what does that mean when he has to add that? Well, it could mean a couple of things, and probably both, though I lean to the second. But Certainly the first is true as well. It can, it, it, it's going to come about through Christ's righteousness, through God's righteousness. Uh, we could paraphrase it then, I will behold thy face in the righteousness of God. Not my righteousness. 
In that case, he's referring not to his own, but to God's righteousness. David knows he's a sinner. David knows he is presently a sinner. And in himself, he is unrighteousness. How could he ever hope to behold God? How can he ever hope to be raised from the dead and to be in the presence of this holy God? How can he ever hope to see the Lord? And the answer is, it's only through God's righteousness. God will righteously bring it about. And God has done that. We know how this righteousness has come about. It's been brought in by Jesus Christ so that the ungodly are justified by this righteousness. And in this justification, they have the blessed hope of being able to see God face to face. It's all because of Christ and his righteousness and what he has done. And that's why Paul says Christ is made unto us righteousness. And the gospel is the righteousness of God. It's revealed from faith to faith. And the end of the law, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And that's all true, men and women. You can only have this hope of seeing God not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so you need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. You need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ in order to see God. And so to behold the glory of God, you must first do so as a humble, repentant sinner in the face of Jesus Christ and come to him through the mediator. And so then, this righteousness here is just a a, a reference to the mediator. I will behold thy face in Christ's righteousness. And so to see God, you need Christ, men and women. It could also mean that David is referring to his own future righteousness that there will be a righteousness that will, the righteousness then in this case will correspond with the likeness. I'll awake with your likeness, Lord. And in, in a righteousness in my heart and life that I've never known before, in a sinless body, with a sinless soul and with a sinless heart, I look you in the face and I see you And that must be a wonderful thing, to be able to come into the presence of God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has regenerated and cleansed us and washed us and glorified us now. And all sin is gone, not only forgiven and washed away, but the very presence of it removed. And there's only holiness now. And we have no idea what that is like. But David has a hope of it. I'll have your likeness. There'll be a righteousness in me that I've never known anything about before. And I'll see you. I'll see you, Lord. And I won't have to confess sin. And I won't have to come to the fountain for a new washing. And I won't have to beat on my breast. And I won't have to weep and cry and be sad because of how I've grieved you. For once, at last, in righteousness, I look in your face. That's the blessed hope of the child of God. That's what he's referring to here. 
And so I think it is especially this ladder. There'll never be a cloud of sin again between the face of the believer and the face of the Lord. Face to face with Christ my Saviour. Face to face, what will it be? Face to face, when with rapture I behold him who gave himself and died for me. The third thing, of course, in all of this is the satisfaction. I shall be satisfied with the awakening in Christ-likeness, with the beholding in righteousness in that day accompanied with this complete and perfect sinlessness is the satisfaction of it all. This is the joy and the rest of heaven that David is speaking about. The blessed delights of being with the Lord, the joy unspeakable and full of glory, the indescribable rapture of his soul. Now, no doubt on earth David had many joys of the Lord, and he had peace in believing, but nothing attains unto this satisfaction of that day. That is future and yet to come. A day whenever there will be unbroken, unhindered fellowship with God in the face of Christ without the presence of sin or Satan. In actual fact, men and women, as children of God here in the world, we're, we're, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied with ourselves, are we? Are you satisfied with yourself? We're not satisfied with ourselves. As long as sin abides and as long as there is unlikeness to Jesus in even the smallest part, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied with our hearts. We're not satisfied with our bodies. We're not satisfied with the world. We're not even satisfied with the church oftentimes. We're not satisfied. But these changes will be of such a nature that at last we shall say, satisfied. Satisfied and happy in Jesus. And this satisfaction is frequently referred to in the Scriptures. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence. Fullness of joy. At thy right hand, pleasures forevermore, the satisfaction of the world to come. In the context of the psalm, David has been speaking about the the men of this world who have their portion, their satisfaction, if you like. They have it in this life. They have satisfaction in their head treasure with their belly. They have satisfaction in their children. They have satisfaction in what they leave to their offspring. They have satisfaction in what they obtain and in their prosperity. The man of the world. But child of God, you're not a man of the world. And you're not satisfied with this world. You'll not be satisfied till you get to heaven on an hour with Jesus Christ. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
satisfied. They shall abundantly be satisfied with the fatness of thy house. Thou shalt make them to drink of the river of pleasures. Is heaven not in the Old Testament? It's everywhere in the Old Testament. Just trace that word satisfaction. Satisfied. Abundant satisfaction with the Lord. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, as is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I shall be satisfied. And so all of this can only be true of Christians, men and women. And with this I conclude. It is not true of the men of this world. It is not true of the Christ rejecter. It is not true of those who cannot take up the place of David in humble, contrite prayer unto the Most High God who looks to the Lord and who trusts in the Savior, will you not come to Christ? Will you not halt your pursuit of satisfaction in this world? And will you not lay up treasure for the world to come? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ then. And thou shalt be saved. And he that believeth on him hath everlasting life. Amen.